this is the Roaring Elephant Podcast. And here I am with my co-host that I have no remorse over, Yon. Hello, Yon. Hey, Dave. Are you very mad if I say that I may have some? <laughs> that being said, I don't think they actually bought each other. <laughs> oh, oh, was I free? Uh, yeah, you came for free, and I guess you get the. You worth all the money I spent on you. <laughs> <laughs> it came free in a box of crackers or something. <sighs> yes. So this uh, somewhat tragic introduction <laughs> is all about uh, an article that uh, we came across on the actually. To, to think about it, terribly named website, CIO Dive, which sounds like a combination of a, a dive bar for CIOs. Like, I don't even know what that would look like. Oh, like this. It's on the screen. If you're not on YouTube, you can't see this. But <laughs> There's lots of screens, and there's maybe even some lens flare. Anyway, the, the topic is around sort of buyer's remorse and, and people being generally unhappy with um, sort of enterprise, like tech enterprise purchases. Uh, I've been in the, uh, I guess in the, the, the pre-sales sort of space for best part of 18 plus years of my career. Uh, before that, I was on the, the other side um, sort of acquiring, buying, and being involved in the evaluation of services and technologies. But I've been on the, the vendor side for a very long time now. And the the stats that this article sort of starts with is basically, so it's a Gartner research has, has sort of brought this all up. So therefore, it absolutely must be the gospel truth, because Gartner said so. Uh, but 73% of enterprise system buyers apparently have some level of tech buyer remorse. Yeah, I don't believe that number. It should be 100%. <laughs> I have never in my life ever bought something that wasn't just a little bit. I mean, the color wasn't exactly what expected or the taste wasn't right that. Or, there's always something wrong. I mean, and that's the, my first problem with this article. <laughs> <laughs> my remorse for me is not a thing it's a it's a range of, of feelings of emotions of yeah. reactions so let's just for the sake of uh, moving on this enough of buyer remorse to actually ask for the money back hmm so different view I get the oh this doesn't smell quite as nice as I thought, doesn't taste quite as nice as I thought it was going to be, isn't quite the right colour I thought it was going to be, but still generally happy I made the decision, which I think is is not mm -hmm. bias remorse, it's just kind of life. <laughs> but uh, I think that this is maybe not as much like I want my money back, but this is more... I I was sold a vision and I believed mm -hmm. a vision and those are two different things mm -hmm. but I think in I would see it as being the combination of both of those things um, 
I, I sold a vision. I believed a vision. And, and like when I got through to the other side, this vision turned out to be not what I expected. Yes, but let's say it's even better than you expected. Is that still bias remorse? I would hope not. Uh, exactly. It's only bias remorse when you actually are have remorse Maybe. for spending the money. Which yeah. means you kind of want your money back. Now, you can't always get <laughs> your money back because if you go to a restaurant to eat your meal... You can't kind of regurgitate it back and ask for your money. I, back. Yeah, but like a lot of a lot of solutions and services, um, organizations make a decision to purchase for a whole range mm -hmm. of decision, uh, a whole range of reasons. Those reasons can still be valid, even if you have remorse about something was not quite as you believed. So as an example, um, like yeah. a, lot of, a lot of people have this sort of belief that, um, you know, technology is magic and like, oh, we'll just buy a, another product and it'll solve everything of our, our needs and requirements. Right. And My job's hopes and dreams. And <laughs> I mean, that's, that's basically your, your job title. <laughs> magician, magician of, of, uh, of solutions engineering, solutions architecture. And it's just not life is not like that anyway. For the for the first point, like there's almost every single technology solution that people buy requires some level of integration, some level of deployment, some level or amount of effort to take it from something that is discussed during a sales cycle, maybe even implemented partially during a sales cycle through to something that is fully rolled out. Is that fair? Is that, do you agree with that? Um, yeah, but now you're talking about instant gratification. The whole idea of yeah. uh, I order something on the web and it needs to be delivered in 10 minutes or I'll my money back. Sorry, I'm going to keep harping on the money back thing. And certainly with the enterprise IT purchases, which this article is talking about, yeah, I mean, those should be typically multi-month if not multi-year endeavors and quite often especially if you're moving from a, a, an old solution to something new you will have a lot of problems well we don't call it problems we call it migration issues um, mm -hmm. but that's just inherent on the migration market. challenges yeah <laughs> but i mean for all this stuff i mean the one thing you can do for me to to avoid buy remorse and this is a big part of the migration strategy as well is expectation management yeah, and that's the one thing in this art that I don't find in this article. That's why I fundamentally disagree with this article, <laughs> which yeah. I hope makes for a good podcast. But yeah, I mean, if you do good expectation management, then most of this stuff, uh, assuming everybody's honest, I mean, if you got a snake oil, uh, snake oil salesman, then oh, yeah. everything goes out the door, out yeah. the window. So let's not go in there. But if everything goes up on the up and up, good expectation management is good. But it's always easy to do good expectation management. So like there's there's there are two quotes that I think are particularly telling in, in this in the article. One is that uh, most buyers find a way to get value from their purchases, mm -hmm. um, said you know Hank Barnes, VP analyst at Gartner. They just don't enjoy the experience, and many find the initial stages of deployment more challenging than they expected. Barnes told CII Dive in an email, which is 
exactly what you were just talking about. Like ex the expectations not being correctly set. Now, we like we we talked a little bit about this before we even started recording, but the the setting of those expectations, like where where do you think that lies? Is that on the vendor side or is that on the buyer's side? Uh, I think it's an interconnected thing that's been happening over the last decade, multi-decade maybe even. And uh, I mean, the, the term that covers it all is called marketing, I think. Uh, marketing, mm. advertisements, things like that. It's kind of a, in, uh, as you call that, a, a war going on between buyers and vendors to make marketing even more unbelievable. Because whatever <laughs> vendor exports out in the world that they can do this incredible magic here, oh, from now on, this is believed as being true, apparently. So if you, vendor B, don't do that magic, apparently you're, you're not good enough. So uh, you have to kind of get on that hype train. A hype is maybe a good word for this. Get on the hype train and mm. talk about this. Cloud is one of the biggest uh, culprits here, I think, because the whole idea if you go to cloud is going to be more flexible. Yeah, probably. It's going to be faster, potentially. It's going to be cheaper. No way in hell. Because <laughs> you're actually getting more. So how the hell would it ever be cheaper? No, can you do more with the money you spend? Probably. If not, mm. you're doing it wrong. Or, mm -hmm. if you, or you're not a good candidate for cloud. But don't mm. expect to actually save money. Digital transformation projects should never be about saving a buck. It should be about getting more ROI, but that will in include a bigger investment, probably mostly usually. But if you talk I to mean, the it, upscalers, that's it, not how they say it. Yeah, I mean, it, it may involve saving money in the longer term, but it's one of those nope. like invest up front to save money longer term. Nope, you will not save money. In the pure dollars, you will always spend more because you're doing more and that should cost more. But the revenue you get from those investments should be higher, so your profits should get higher as well. Mm. So yes, your revenue will increase, but based on a higher spending. And again, at migration phase, you have to start spending the money <laughs> before you get all those nice goals uh, realized. Upfront investment. And yes, I can imagine you get disillusioned. We did this big migration, have all these big stores, we're going to save that much money. And I see this first year, I spend double. Well, yes, you're still doing your old stuff. The new stuff's being built up. It's not functional. It's going to cost you more. Not a single uh, cloud vendor out there starts a conversation with that. No. No, because of course they would shoot themselves in the foot immediately. No marketing says that either. If you're a buyer and you have a little bit of common sense, this should not be news to you. And if you come to me but and I think you... I have common sense and you talk to me, go to the cloud, it's going to save you money, I will shut the door in your face because I, you just lost every bit of trust I might have gotten, have had in you. Yeah, but you've, you've answered the question yourself. Like that is, that, is the, that is the marketing. That is what everybody says. Uh, even though everybody also knows it's not true at the same time. Exactly. So I, that's, it's, yeah. We all watch a TV with all of these beautiful, I mean, publicity for medicine and, and bold cures and whatever. We know they don't work. People still buy the crap. And, yeah. <laughs> humans, humans. We're such, a, we're such a lovely species. Well, I mean, there's there's two things, there's, there's two particular statistics that jump out in this session. Like one is the one that I first mentioned, um, 
like uh, poor decision making and lack of strategic yeah, lack of strategic vision are at the root of tech buyer remorse for 73% of enterprise system buyers and then the other the other statistic is the people that responded regretted 56% of their purchases what on earth are these organizations doing that this level of regret and remorse is so high i mean this feels like if 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 i as a vendor had somewhere between like 73 and 56 percent of of my customers dissatisfied or regretting their purchase like i would be changing companies <laughs> immediately like this i I don't, this just sounds like a, a set of terrible statistics that, I mean, again, like it's, it's Gartner have said it, therefore it must be true. But is, I don't really understand how this, this particular state can be so bad. Well, because customers, uh, buyers don't learn from history. They make mistakes, they're unhappy, and then they make the same mistakes again to be unhappy again. Because again, they listen to the marketing bullshit. And that's why, I mean, that's why I'm a solution architect and I'm not in marketing. <laughs> and again, there's good marketing out there too, being a bit, uh, what do you call that, uh, focusing here. But I mean, as a, one of the, the main important part of my job as a solution architect is expectation management. Make sure that the customer knows before he buys what the product can do, what it might do, what it can do for them and might do for them, because those are two different things. Mm. And that typically is that expectation management thing, and that's important, but a lot of companies don't do that. And I think in the, today we kind of have a problem with buyers getting more mature, more sophisticated, and doing their own research, which is a good thing. I yep. think I yep. do my own research as well. But not vetting the sources of their data, the sources of their information enough. Listening to the marketing, you should not go to the front page of any company and believe what's on the front page. Go to the documentation pages of the product solution you want to buy and read the documentation pages. Mm. Yeah, but that takes a lot more time. Yes. But then, like, what's the alternative of spending time there? The alternative of spending time there is, for example, of the time. <laughs> well, it's not just that; it's also the 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 kind of the miserable experience mm -hmm. of of you know launching a whole RFP process or something similar. And um, I yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to say no there because in my experience. RFPs are only done because they have to be done due to compliance reasons, government spending. You have to do an RFP if it's more than this. I haven't met a single customer that actually wanted to do an RFP. RFIs, uh, by the way, RFP, request for proposal, RFI, request for information. RFIs, I have seen happen just doing orientation, and that's actually a good thing. Just putting mm. something out there, this is what we'd like to do. These are the five vendors we think can do it. Please tell us how you would do this. This is a decent way of working there, but that's the good thing about RFI. The bad thing is that it's totally open. And the problem there is that the vendors don't want to spend time on that because with an RFP, if you win it, you get a deal. With an RFI, if you win it, you still might get nothing. <laughs> the, the challenge, though, is I think that whether you're talking RFP or RFI, 
you're you're essentially asking someone that is actively selling you, selling to you mm-hmm. to sell to you yes and the the exact approach that you were talking about earlier so i i see mm-hmm. often rfis rfps exactly. as being offloading the responsibility Mm-hmm. to a bunch of vendors that's a bad thing and i do and i do not yeah i do not think that that is but, a good thing for an organization but uh, when i was at uh, surf startup the hpc supercomputing center i did a lot of rfps because government organization we had to go to rfps yeah. in the pre-rfp phase or so the rfi phase or the discovery phase we had all the vendors come over and what i particularly did is see what the vendors were harping on the most. Because if vendor A is saying that this is the most important thing, that probably means that the other vendors don't have that. Because as you said, they're selling their own stuff, so they're trying to give that Mm. differentiation. Now, if the other vendors doesn't have that, and obviously if you're buying hardware, you're going to be talking to to Dell, HP, Lenovo, whatever, Fujitsu, they're all doing the same thing, basically selling the same stuff, but it's very slight differences here and there. So if uh, vendor A is saying, we've got this beautiful thing, that means the other one doesn't have that. Okay, then I'm going to the other one and ask them, why don't you have that? And I'll get the, well, you don't need that because blah, blah, blah. And that way, if you're savvy, if you're smart, doing an RFI process, you can actually get the, 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 the marketing pro and the marketing against, and the truth is going to be somewhere in the middle. Mm. And that's why I think RFIs can work if you do it properly. If, as you say, you're yeah. just fobbing off the work to the vendor and, uh, oh, yeah, this looks good. Well, no, that's just listen to marketing again. Exactly. And I think, unfortunately, I see far more of that oh, yeah. offloading the decision-making process to the vendor than I do a really thoughtful and well-engaged and well-run uh, RFI or RFP process. I also think that the the time and effort that it takes to pour into those kind of, even if you're, even if you do that, the amount of time and effort it takes to properly review all of that stuff that comes back, I honestly believe, again, not always, but nine times out of ten, that time and effort would be better spent doing one's own research, an organization doing its own research, first of all, and at the very least kind of having a better understanding of an expectation of what it is that they're getting themselves into. I see too many organizations that go down this road with no real understanding of what it is that they're doing, why they're doing it, how they're doing it. I mean, that's two things. I'm going to leave the second one for later. But the first thing is that doing your own due diligence is sometimes not possible. If you're not in open source solutions, if you're going to close source solutions, the information might not just be out there, or even worse, maybe intentionally obfuscated, because mm. the closed source vendors don't want their uh, their, their jewels on the streets. They, they kind of we do magic, and if you talk to us, we'll tell you how the magic works. So you kind of have to do the, the thing. And yes, it's a lot of work, but again, nothing is free. You have to yep. do the work if you want the benefits. Simple as that. Now, what's the second thing you talked? I was always embarrassed that I forgot it, but apparently you forgot it too. <laughs> Which bit? Which bit? Well, the thing is that after that, after the doing your own diligence, a lot of work. Oh, people not knowing what they want. Uh, yeah, what they want in the first place. 
again, two 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 bladed sword, I guess, or three bladed sword. Uh, watch Babylon Five, I don't know what that means. Um, sometimes you don't know what you need, and what I experience a lot in my daily job is that buyers are coming to the vendors for education. They're asking the vendors, "I know I need security." Today, what does that mean, security? What do I need? Mm. And if you have a good vendor, you'll get some decent information, which you can then use to maybe search on, do your own research further on. Sometimes uh, reading things like Gardner, yeah, you've been being a bit, you've been a bit joking about Gardner. If it's, I say this true, but again, that's the reason the Gardner exists to yeah. spread information about things that are happening and give people an idea of well, this apparently is important. Big difference. The big thing to be careful here is maybe this thing is important, but is this thing important for you? And having an idea of how your company works, what you need, what you don't need, is very important. And that's actually a nice link towards the retention problems that everybody's having these days with uh, shortage on talent. If people don't stay in their jobs for more than a year, how can you ever know what the company actually needs? Yeah, uh, I think this also links back to another another quote from from the article which is the teams involved in buying often don't agree on what they're trying to accomplish i i can certainly say mm -hmm. i see that that on a regular basis yes. unfortunately and this conflict drives delays and frustrations including an increased likelihood of putting less effort into evaluations which on the on the surface seems counterintuitive you would think that if there's dissent or a lack of a clear direction then people would put more effort into an evaluation to try and consolidate and unify the yeah but that takes the understanding of what it is that they're trying to achieve what it is they try they want out of a solution or service or technology yeah, but that takes effort and not yeah. asking questions is so much easier I mean, when we started okay. this podcast, we started questioning, should we do this? <laughs> if we had done that, would we ever have started this? <laughs> I mean, we did. We did ask ourselves that question. Yeah, you're right. I think our answer probably was, eh, why not? It'll be fun. Yeah. Um, we should have done our research. How many years later? We should have done our research. <laughs> Um, do you do you have podcasters remorse <laughs> from time to time? <laughs> <laughs> Three hundred and thirteen episodes in. Uh, but anyway. Back, maybe it's the 13th episode that's the problem. Anyway, back to the, the, to the subject at hand. Um, I mean, they could also solve the problem by not having that many silos in an organization because having every department have their own targets and not having a company-wide target, people are going to start fighting for their own little fortress. And if that's to the, the, bad for another department, well, that's not my problem. And that's something you see a lot as well, when people aren't looking yeah. at what's good for the company, but what's good for me, my team, my project, much more. My department, my division, or whatever. I mean, how often do you yeah. get a new manager joining a company that brings in a new product just because he wants to put his stamp on the organization? Yeah. It doesn't even matter if the product is good or not, it's just he, he wants to put on LinkedIn that he or she did this thing at company XYZ and then yeah. move on again. <laughs> I was going to say, like, sometimes that can be good, like, you know, bringing someone in as an agent of change is a, a very, mm -hmm. like, well-trodden well path to, to success for a lot of things. 
But yeah, it can also be, I just want to bring this thing in because I know this thing and I like these people and I want to show that I can make a change without any understanding of what it is that they're changing, what it is they're implementing, the, yeah. the environment that they're implementing it in. And, and finding a question stuff. for the answer they're bringing. Yeah, yeah. And then they get buyer's remorse because, yeah, we got this beautiful thing now, doesn't do anything for us, but hey, we spend a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. So... This is a very one of the, podcast, isn't it? <laughs> so one of the, one of the, well, one of the pieces towards the end of, of the article was about... Um, if a vendor really cares about this particular situation, and I would say that vendors should care about this, like if if really seventy three percent of organisations have some level of remorse around the around the the, the tech that they're purchasing, and fifty six percent of those purchases are regretted, I think vendors should care about this because realistically what ends what will end up happening for some of those not all of them because as one of the other quotes said you know most people do find a way to get value from their purchases eventually eventually well, the they just don't spent, enjoy the process to. yeah exactly so maybe they don't all lead to churn and maybe they don't all lead to churn immediately but if someone's really not enjoying using a particular service or solution and they're really struggling to find value out of it there almost certainly will eventually be a churn people will get to the point where they're so fed up with something yeah, that's that why oracle will... is doing so bad these days yeah i'm not <laughs> going to touch that one um so i think vendors should care about this kind of situation vendors should want to make sure that they are doing everything they can to do the expectation setting understand the reasons that organizations are adopting technologies and make sure that they're making a sale that's appropriate yeah. but the 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 final sort of piece of this article talks a little bit about vendors being more proactive in this kind of situation and uh, they actually use the phrase engineering a happy customer sort of this i think is you could look at this as a very superficial way and say, oh, you know, well, we've got customer success teams and professional services teams. Our bribes just... are the highest in the industry. <laughs> oh, you heard it first from Jan. Um, Rolling off in bribes. Bribes, we have stickers. <laughs> <laughs> we have stickers with our old logos on them. Anyway, they're, they're vintage. Um, which automatically means we can charge far more for them. Um, so... You know, you, you can look at this from a um, from a vendor perspective, saying that uh, okay, like we've got customer success teams, we've got professional services teams, like, but that I don't think is is dealing with the the fundamental problem here, which is making sure that organisations really understand what their adoption or migration journey actually looks like making sure that people really do understand both the like hopefully incredible value that they can receive from said solution service product but also like the journey it will realistically take to mm -hmm. you know realize that uh, return roi yeah. 
you know, whatever it might be. Yeah, I think it's getting better. And I'm going to use the magic word here. Open source is helping along here. And I'm not talking mm. about having your code on GitHub. Yes, that's one source, kind of open source, sure. But it's more the open source. We, we talked a little about culture on the podcast before about being open, having documentation on the, on the website, having open discussions. And the way open source is changing the world is not the code on GitHub, which is a part of it again, but having that mentality of just yeah, explaining what happens. And basically, I only work for companies where I'm entitled, allowed to say to a customer, you shouldn't buy our product. It's not going to help you. And there are a lot of companies out there that don't allow that. And as a solution architect, that's a privilege you should have in your of in, in your in your in your occupation. Because if you can't do that, you're a second hand second hand car dealer, and everything is a beautiful thing. And that's not the case. You have to be able to understand what the customer needs and see if it's a good fit. And it's never going to be a hundred percent fit. I mean, that happens yeah. very rarely. But as long as the benefits outweigh the uh, whatever negatives to some degree, a reasonable degree then you can recommend the customer, yes, this will help you forwards. And this is what it can do. This is what it can't do. This is what maybe potentially in the future, if you combine things in the right way, it'll be able to do for you. And that is, I think, a big part of the open source mindset that's creeping in. That's a good thing all over the industry these days. And it's making it a lot harder for the, the closed source companies, not because their code isn't on GitHub, but because people are now expecting a open conversation and not just a sales pitch. Yeah. Sales pitches are no longer important. If I look at how I work with my sales rep, I pretty much do most of the talking. I mean, you know, that's not unusual for any of listeners to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I will let you know that I do the editing of the podcast and you always have a lot more than I do. <laughs> and with that, I have no remorse about recording this episode. And I think that's probably all the time we have today. That is indeed all the time we have for today. We have, we're going to shut Dave up just like that. And I'm going to have the last the final word this time. <laughs> you can support this podcast. Please become a patron. Contributions do help this podcast. We're on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit notification bells, do YouTube stuff, make Dave happy, make him smile. He's so beautiful and he smiles. You can go to www.roaringelephant.org. There's links to the Patreon page, a more information podcast. You can follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag. And you can send a plain old email to podcast at roaringelephant.org. Until next time, my name is, I'm sure, happy my parents didn't do, do, didn't do due diligence before they decided to acquire me. Jon? And my name is No Remorse, No Surrender, Dave. <laughs> I look forward to talking to you again next week. Bye-bye. See you then. See, got the last word. No, you didn't. <laughs>